Chapter Seven, Part One of What Katie Did Next. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. What Katie Did Next by Susan Coolidge. Chapter Seven, The Pension Suisse. "'What do you suppose can have brought Katie Carr to Europe?' inquired Lily, as she stood in the window, watching the three figures walk slowly down the sands. "'She is the last person I expected to turn up here. I supposed she was stuck in that horrid place—what is the name of it—where they live for the rest of her life.' "'I confess I am surprised at meeting her myself,' rejoined Mrs. Page. I had no idea that her father could afford so expensive a journey. "'And who is that woman that she has got along with her?' "'I have no idea. Some Western friend, I suppose.' "'Dear me, I wish they were going to some other house than this,' said Lily discontentedly. "'If they were at the Rivoire, for instance, or one of those places at the far end of the beach, we shouldn't need to see anything of them, or even know that they were in town. It's a real nuisance to have people spring upon you this way, people you don't want to meet. And when they happen to be relations it is all the worse. Katie will be hanging on us all the time, I'm afraid.' "'Oh, my dear, there is no fear of that. A little repression on our part will prevent her from being any trouble, I'm quite certain. But we must treat her politely, you know, Lily. Her father is my cousin.' "'That's the saddest part of it. Well, there's one thing. I shall not take her with me every time we go to the frigates,' said Lily, decisively. I am not going to inflict a country cousin on Lieutenant Worthington, and spoil all my own fun besides, so I give you fair warning, Mamma, and you must manage it somehow. Certainly, dear, I will. It would be a great pity to have your visit to Nice spoiled in any way, with the squadron here too, and that pleasant Mr. Worthington, so very attentive." Unconscious of these plans for her suppression, Katie walked back to the hotel in a mood of pensive pleasure. Europe at last promised to be as delightful as it had seemed when she only knew it from maps and books, and Nice so far appeared to her the most charming place in the world. Somebody was waiting for them at the Hôtel des Anglais, a tall, bronzed, good-looking somebody in uniform, with pleasant brown eyes beaming from beneath a gold-banded cap, at the sight of whom Amy rushed forward with her long locks flying, and Mrs. Ashe uttered an exclamation of pleasure. It was Ned Worthington, Mrs. Ashe's only brother, whom she had not met for two years and a half, and you can easily imagine how glad she was to see him. "'You got my note, then?' she said, after the first eager greetings were over, and she had introduced him to Katie. "'Note? No. Did you write me a note?' "'Yes, to Villefranche.' "'To the ship? I shan't get that till to-morrow. No, finding out that you were here is just a bit of good fortune. I came to call on some friends who are staying down the beach a little way, and dropping in to look over the list of arrivals, as I generally do, I saw your names, and the porter not being able to say which way you had gone, I waited for you to come in.' "'We have been looking at such a delightful old place, the Pension Suisse, and have taken rooms.' "'The Pension Suisse, eh? Well, that's where I was going to call. I know some people who are staying there.' 
It seems a pleasant house. I'm glad you are going there, Polly. It's first-rate luck that the ships happen to be here just now. I can see you every day.' "'But, Ned, surely you are not leaving me so soon. Surely you will stay and dine with us,' urged his sister as he took up his cap. "'I wish I could, but I can't to-night, Polly. You see I had engaged to take some ladies out to drive, and they will expect me. I had no idea that you would be here, or I should have kept myself free.' apologetically. To-morrow I will come over early, and be at your service for whatever you like to do. "'That's right, dear boy, we shall expect you.' Then, the moment he was gone, "'Now, Katie, isn't he nice?' "'Very nice, I should think,' said Katie, who had watched the brief interview with interest. "'I like his face so much, and how fond he is of you.' "'Dear fellow, so he is. I am seven years older than he, but we have always been intimate. Brothers and sisters are not always intimate, you know, or perhaps you don't know, for all of yours are.' "'Yes, indeed,' said Katie, with a happy smile. "'There is nobody like Clover and Elsie, except perhaps Johnny and Dory and Phil,' she added with a laugh. The remove to the Pension Suisse was made early the next morning. Mrs. Page and Lily did not appear to welcome them. Katie rather rejoiced in their absence, for she wanted the chance to get into order without interruptions. There was something comfortable in the thought that they were to stay a whole month in these new quarters. For so long a time it seemed worth while to make them pretty and homelike. So, while Mrs. Ashe unpacked her own belongings and Amy's, Katie, who had a natural turn for arranging rooms, took possession of the little parlour, pulled the furniture into new positions, laid out portfolios and work-cases and their few books, pinned various photographs which they had bought in Oxford and London on the walls, and tied back the curtains to admit the sunshine. Then she paid a visit to the little garden, and came back with a long branch of Laurestinus, which she trained across the mantelpiece, and a bunch of wallflowers for their one little vase. The maid, by her orders, laid a fire of wood and pine-cones ready for lighting, and when all was done she called Mrs. Ashe to pronounce upon the effect. "'It is lovely,' she said, sinking into a great velvet armchair which Katie had drawn close to the seaward window. "'I haven't seen anything so pleasant since we left home. You are a witch, Katie, and the comfort of my life. I am so glad I brought you. Now, Pray go and unpack your own things, and make yourself look nice for the second breakfast. We have been a shabby set enough since we arrived. I saw those cousins of yours looking askance at our old travelling dresses yesterday. Let us try to make a more respectable impression to-day. So they went down to breakfast, Mrs. Ashe in one of her new Paris gowns, Katie in a pretty dress of olive serge, and Amy all smiles and ruffled pinafore, walking hand in hand with her uncle Ned, who had just arrived, and whose great ally she was, and Mrs. Page and Lily, who were already seated at table, had much ado to conceal their somewhat unflattering surprise at the conjunction. For one moment Lily's eyes opened into a wide stare of incredulous astonishment. Then she remembered herself, nodded as pleasantly as she could to Mrs. Ashe and Katie, and favoured Lieutenant Worthington with a pretty blushing smile as he went by, while she murmured, "'Mamma, do you see that? What does it mean?' "'Why, Ned, do you know those people?' asked Mrs. Ashe at the same moment. "'Do you know them?' "'Yes, we met yesterday. They are connections of my friend Miss Carr.' "'Really? 
there is not the least family likeness between them. And Mr. Worthington's eyes travelled deliberately from Lily's delicate, golden prettiness to Katie, who, truth to say, did not shine by the contrast. She has a nice, sensible sort of face, he thought, and she looks like a lady, but for beauty there is no comparison between the two. Then he turned to listen to his sister as she replied, No, indeed, not the least. No two girls could be less like. Mrs. Ashe had made the same comparison, but with quite a different result. Katie's face was grown dear to her, and she had not taken the smallest fancy to Lily Page. Her relationship to the young naval officer, however, made a wonderful difference in the attitude of Mrs. Page and Lily toward the party. Katie became a person to be cultivated rather than repressed, and thenceforward there was no lack of cordiality on their part. "'I want to come and have a good talk,' said Lily, slipping her arm through Katie's as they left the dining-room. "'Mayn't I come now while Mamma is calling on Mrs. Ashe?' This arrangement brought her to the side of Lieutenant Worthington, and she walked between him and Katie down the hall and into the little drawing-room. "'Oh, how perfectly charming! You have been fixing up ever since you came, haven't you? It looks like home. I wish we had a salon, but Mamma thought it wasn't worth while, as we were only to be here such a little time. What a delicious balcony over the water, too! May I go out on it? Oh, Mr. Worthington, do see this!' She pushed open the half-closed window and stepped out as she spoke. Mr. Worthington, after hesitating a moment, followed. Katie paused, uncertain. There was hardly room for three in the balcony, yet she did not quite like to leave them. But Lily had turned her back, and was talking in a low tone. It was nothing more in reality than the lightest chit-chat, but it had the air of being something confidential. So Katie, after waiting a little while, retreated to the sofa and took up her work, joining now and then in the conversation which Mrs. Ashe was keeping up with Cousin Olivia. She did not mind Lily's ill-breeding, nor was she surprised at it. Mrs. Ashe was less tolerant. "'Isn't it rather damp out there, Ned?' she called to her brother. "'You had better throw my shawl around Miss Page's shoulders.' "'Oh, it isn't a bit damp,' said Lily, recalled to herself by this broad hint. "'Thank you so much for thinking of it, Mrs. Ashe, but I am just coming in.' She seated herself beside Katie, and began to question her rather languidly. "'When did you leave home, and how were they all when you came away?' "'All well, thank you. We sailed from Boston on the 14th of October, and before that I spent two days with Rose Red. You remember her? She is married now, and has the dearest little home and such a darling baby.' "'Yes, I heard of her marriage. It didn't seem much of a match for Mr. Redding's daughter to make, did it? I never supposed she would be satisfied with anything less than a member of Congress, or a secretary of legation.' "'Rose isn't particularly ambitious, I think, and she seems perfectly happy,' replied Katie, flushing. "'Oh, you needn't fire up in her defence. You and Clover always did adore Rose Red, I know, but I never could see what there was about her that was so wonderfully fascinating. She never had the least style, and she was always just as rude to me as she could be.' "'You were not intimate at school, but I am sure Rose was never rude,' said Katie, with spirit. "'Well, we won't fight about her at this late day. Tell me where you have been and where you are going, and how long you are to stay in Europe.' 
Katie, glad to change the subject, complied, and the conversation diverged into comparison of plans and experiences. Lily had been in Europe nearly a year, and had seen almost everything, as she phrased it. She and her mother had spent the previous winter in Italy, had taken a run into Russia, Dunn, Switzerland, and the Tyrol thoroughly, and France and Germany, and were soon going into Spain, from there to Paris, to shop, in preparation for their return home in the spring. "'Of course we shall want quantities of things,' she said. "'No one will believe that we have been abroad unless we bring home a lot of clothes. "'The lingerie and all that is ordered already, but the dresses must be made at the last moment, "'and we shall have a horrid time of it, I suppose. "'Worth has promised to make me two walking-suits and two ball-dresses, "'but he's very bad about keeping his word. "'Did you do much when you were in Paris, Katie?' "'We went to the Louvre three times, and to Versailles and St. Cloud.' said Katie, willfully misunderstanding her. "'Oh, I didn't mean that kind of stupid thing. I meant gowns. What did you buy?' "'One tailor-made suit of dark blue cloth.' "'My, what moderation!' Shopping played a large part in Lily's reminiscences. She recollected places, not from their situation, or beauty, or historical associations, or because of the works of art which they contained, but as the places where she bought this or that. "'Oh, that dear Piazza di Spagna,' she would say, "'that was where I found my rococo necklace, the loveliest thing you ever saw, Katie.' Or, "'Prague, oh, yes, mother got the most enchanting old silver chatelaine there, with all kinds of things hanging to it, needle-cases and watches and scent-bottles, all solid and so beautifully chaste. Or again, Berlin was horrid, we thought, but the amber is better and cheaper than anywhere else, great strings of beads of the largest size and that beautiful pale yellow, for a hundred francs. You must get yourself one, Katie.' "'Poor Lily!' Europe to her was all things. She had collected trunks full of objects to carry home, but of the other collections which do not go into trunks, she had little or none. Her mind was as empty, her heart as untouched as ever. The beauty and the glory and the pathos of art and history and nature had been poured out in vain before her closed and indifferent eyes. Life soon dropped into a peaceful routine at the Pension Suisse, which was at the same time restful and stimulating. Katie's first act in the morning, as soon as she opened her eyes, was to hurry to the window in hopes of getting a glimpse of Corsica. She had discovered that this elusive island could almost always be seen from Nice at the dawning, but that as soon as the sun was fairly up, it vanished to appear no more for the rest of the day. There was something fascinating to her imagination in the hovering mountain outline between sea and sky. She felt as if she were under an engagement to be there to meet it, and she rarely missed the appointment. Then, after Corsica had pulled the bright mists over its face and melted from view, she would hurry with her dressing, and, as soon as was practicable, set to work to make the salon look bright before the coffee and rolls should appear, a little after eight o'clock. Mrs. Ashe always found the fire lit, the little meal cosily set out beside it, and Katie's happy, untroubled face to welcome her when she emerged from her room, and the cheer of these morning repasts made a good beginning for the day. 
Then came walking, and a French lesson, and a long sitting on the beach, while Katie worked at her home letters, and Amy raced up and down in the sun, and then toward noon Lieutenant Ned generally appeared, and some scheme of pleasure was set on foot. Mrs. Ashe ignored his evident penchant for Lily Page, and claimed his time and attention as hers by right. Young Worthington was a good deal taken with the pretty Lily. Still, he had an old-time devotion for his sister, and the habit of doing what she desired, and he yielded to her behests with no audible objections. He made a fourth in the carriage when they drove over the lovely hills which encircle Nice toward the north, to Simier and the Val de Saint-André, or down the coast toward Ventimiglia. He went with them to Monte Carlo and Mentone, and was their escort again and again when they visited the great warships, as they lay at anchor in a bay which, in its translucent blue, was like an enormous sapphire. Mrs. Page and her daughter were included in these parties more than once, but there was something in Mrs. Ashe's cool appropriation of her brother which was infinitely vexatious to Lily, who, before her arrival, had rather looked upon Lieutenant Worthington as her own especial property. "'I wish that Mrs. Ashe had stayed at home,' she told her mother. "'She quite spoils everything.' Mr. Worthington isn't half so nice as he was before she came. I do believe she has a plan for making him fall in love with Katie. But there she makes a miss of it, for he doesn't seem to care anything about her. Katie is a nice girl enough, pronounced her mother, but not of the sort to attract a gay young man, I shouldn't fancy. I don't believe she is thinking of any such thing. You needn't be afraid, Lily. I'm not afraid said Lily, with a pout, only it's so provoking. Mrs. Page was quite right. Katie was not thinking of any such thing. She liked Ned Worthington's frank manners. She owned, quite honestly, that she thought him handsome, and she particularly admired the sort of deferential affection which he showed to Mrs. Ashe, and his nice ways with Amy. For herself, she was aware that he scarcely noticed her, except as politeness demanded that he should be civil to his sister's friend, but the knowledge did not trouble her particularly. Her head was full of interesting things, plans, ideas. She was not accustomed to being made the object of admiration, and experienced none of the vexations of a neglected bell. If Lieutenant Worthington happened to talk to her, she responded frankly and freely. If he did not, she occupied herself with something else. In either case, she was quite unembarrassed, both in feeling and manner, and had none of the awkwardness which comes from disappointed vanity and baffled expectations, and the need for concealing them. End of section 1 of chapter 7